Hi everybody, welcome to Subject to Interpretation. My name is Gabriela Vialba and I am the Creative Media Director here at Delamora Institute and I would personally like to thank you for tuning in. This is our space for professionals and friends in and out of the field to discuss topics that are relevant to interpreters. We pride ourselves in being one of the very few podcasts for professional interpreters out there. So I hope you benefit from today's episode, find some inspiration, maybe learn something new, and simply enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode five of Subject to Interpretation. Today, we have a very special interview with someone from super far away. Her name is Masako Mori. And Masako is an associate professor at the Toyohashi University of Technology in Japan. And she actually met us at um, the Nagit conference in this year's Nagit conference. And we actually had an interesting conversation with her in which she was talking about the interpreter training situation in Japan and kind of the standards for interpreters in Japan. So you're going to hear a lot more about that. It's going to be a very in-depth interview when um, we get to the segment where Augustine interviews her. But for now, we're going to go ahead and talk about that a little bit. So the importance of quality assurance in interpretation. It is a must. I'm going to go ahead and have Claudia. She's with me today. She's going to take Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, it's Claudia here. I hope you guys are having a fantastic week, by the way. It's Friday. Aren't you happy it's Friday? <laughs> it's the best. I'm so happy. <laughs> it's the best feeling. Yes, always. Um, anyways, we thought it would be fun today to talk about some of the biggest mistakes in interpreter history. Um, and I have four different examples uh, with me today that are both funny and terrifying, but always <laughs> interesting. <laughs> okay, starting with in 1976, U.S. President Jimmy Carter spoke to a Polish speaking audience and opened his remarks by saying, I left the United States this morning. The interpreter's rendition was, when I abandoned the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Those present laughed at the obvious mistake, but things got more complicated later during the speech when the president said that, I have come to learn your opinions and understand your desires for the future. The rendition by the same interpreter was, I desire the Poles carnally. <laughs> yeah, that's not... <laughs> Exactly not good. What he said. <laughs> not good. Uh, it's so good. Wow. Um, yes, that's terrifying, like we mentioned. Now, the next example I have comes from July 1945, after the United States issued the Potsdam Declaration demanding the surrender of Japan in World War II. So Japanese Prime Minister Kantaro Suzuki called a press conference, and in a statement he said, no comments. We are still thinking about it. Unfortunately, the interpreter's rendition was, we are ignoring it in contempt. <laughs> oh, that's, that's definitely the definition of funny and terrifying because that's not nowhere near what the prime minister said at that yeah. point in time, obviously during a very sensitive time period. We are ignoring it in contempt. <laughs> I wonder how people reacted to that one. Oh, gosh. No, that's definitely not good, but it may be a <laughs> sentence I may start using on my daily life. I am ignoring it in contempt. <laughs> my to-do list. <laughs> exactly. 
By the way, I got all of these from Tony Rosados, the professional interpreter blog, uh, and he has many more examples. So if you want to check that out, we'll leave the link to, um, to his blog in the description. Yeah, we like Tony. He's a writer, so he's always got these really interesting pieces on his blog. He really does. He's got a great perspective. The next example I have for you guys today is St. Jerome, the patron saint of translators. Did you know that? He studied Hebrew so he could translate the Old Testament into Latin. His translation contained a famous mistake. When Moses comes back from Mount Sinai, his head has radiance in Hebrew or Quran. But because Hebrew is written without vowels, St. Jerome read Karen, which means horns. Because of this mistake, we have many paintings and sculptures of Moses with horns. And this is something I've seen before and never questioned. It's actually uh, very oh, really? common. Yeah, it's very common in classical art to see the the scene of Moses with horns. Yeah, that is everywhere. so fascinating. I've always wondered about that, like why the horns? So, okay, so yeah, basically so now people we know. heard that and then made pieces like, yeah, they're horns. <laughs> yeah, but that's a pure translation mistake, which is hilarious and it looks like it changed art history it did it did uh maybe next segment could be interpreters that have changed the course of history because i'm sure that has happened quite often as well yeah well Uh, (laughs) so what's the other what um what else do you have (laughs) and then this one a lot of us might remember um which comes from the interpreter tamsanga tanji and i'm sorry i'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. Unfortunately, the sign language interpreter is infamous because at the Nelson Mandela funeral, he made meaningless sign language motions during the ceremony for unknown reasons. Now, once again, this is the Nelson Mandela funeral. This was broadcasted all over the world. (sighs) Yes, it's incredibly disappointing that at the high level of all of the situations that we talked about here today, these giant mistakes can still happen. So we have a still a long way to go to make sure that the standards are higher across the world. And Masako will talk about that today and the issues that, are, that she's facing in Japan. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating mistakes and how it affects <laughs> history, literal history. It's great. And um, if you guys want, my listeners, if you have ever heard any really high impact interpretation mistakes or even some little silly ones feel free to share them in the comments of this we love to hear it and we might even feature them on our next podcast episode you never know we'll keep your name anonymous we promise we will we will <laughs> <laughs> or you can like say it was your <laughs> righty so that was really interesting <laughs> thank you claudia Before we move on to our interview with Masako, I want to just mention that our final, our last 40-hour medical course of the year is beginning on September 30th. It's going to be taught by Athena Matilski, and she's pretty much going to be covering those um, 40 hours of required training that you're going to need to take your exams. But on top of that, we're going to be using those Delamora weightlifting methods to teach you how to use those skills that you're learning in the class in the long run and continue developing your career as an interpreter even after the class is over. So it's a really nice deal and we um, have the links below in the description if you want to look at our website you can find more information on the class payment plans the specific dates and all of that good stuff so definitely keep an eye out and 
I'm going to go ahead and leave you guys now with Augustine. He's going to take over and interview Masako. I hope you enjoy this interview. It's really fascinating. And then if you have any comments, obviously, feel free to share them as well. So we hope you enjoy this. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome back to another chapter of Subject to Interpretation, our podcast where we at the Lamore Interpreter Training always try to bring to you interesting and uh, varied topics and contributions from many of our colleagues. And today, we've had some international guests before, but nobody from that far, because today <laughs> we're honored and pleased to have Masako uh, with us, and she's an interpreter in Japan that I was lucky enough to meet uh, in the last uh, Najit conference in Tennessee this past May. So I asked her to give me her contact and she's gracious enough to give us some of her time to share with us her experiences and her thoughts about court interpretation and how it's done in Japan. So mm -hmm. thank you very much, Masako. Thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, also, thank you very much for your invitation. I'm really glad to uh, join you. Okay. Well, first and foremost, are you a court interpreter in Japan? Yes, I am. Okay. So tell us a little bit as to how you ended up being a court interpreter in Japan, because our experience here in the United States is that many people who are court interpreters really didn't start uh, their careers or even thinking that they were going to be court mm -hmm. interpreters. Mm -hmm. How about you? Did you start always? Did you always want to be an interpreter? No, this is a kind of the, uh, the happening. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, I'm not sure. I don't. I, I mean, I don't remember exactly. But there, there was a big uh, airplane uh, accident in Japan, mm -hmm. and I was asked at the court the Boeing. And also mm -hmm. the uh, the other company names I don't remember. I'm sorry. Uh, the big okay. air comp airplane company in the France, mm -hmm. Concorde or something like that, mm -hmm. were invited to court to as a witness, and mm -hmm. I was asked to, to uh, rewrite their uh, statement at the court. Mm -hmm. and this mm -hmm. is the first experience for me. And mm -hmm. this is the first uh, occasion that I knew the job court interpreter and court interpreting. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm interested because I already worked as a court interpreter at that time. So I had interested and contacted the Ministry of Justice mm -hmm. and also the Nagoya Regional Court where I live now. Mm -hmm. And I was enrolled and on the name roster as mm -hmm. a court interpreter after that. Mm -hmm. And after your first experience, you were already in the roster. Now you were officially a court interpreter, right? Yes. Well, it sounds uh, like yeah. After I took the exam, uh, they acknowledged me as an officer in court interpreter. Okay, so you did take an exam. Tell us about that exam. Was it an oral, a written exam, or both? It's really ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Um. I just received a letter from the court and I went to the court and I didn't prepare anything because I'm just called up to the court 
and mm-hmm. I went to the court, and they are kind with the orientation and mm-hmm. explanation about the court interpreting and the court system. After that, mm-hmm. suddenly, I was called up to, to another room, and the, they showed a really short video. It's mm-hmm. a, uh, the, the beginning of the court, like state your name or state your nationality or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't have the pencil. I didn't have a paper. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have nothing. But after that, they told me to, to interpret everything. Okay. Fortunately, I already wor- uh, worked as a con- uh, conference interpreter. So I memorized everything. So mm-hmm. I did. And they said, oh, wonderful. That's okay. all. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Now, did they tell you right away, okay, you passed the test, or did yes. you have to wait? Oh, yeah, they did. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. And did you do all three modes of interpretation, or did you do only simultaneous or only consecutive side translation? How was it? It's interesting because then I'll talk a little bit about how our system works here for court interpretation. We'll see. We'll compare notes. Oh, okay. And it's consecutive. Mm-hmm. And it's really the probably one or two minutes mm-hmm. uh, short video. Like as I said before, it's a state mm-hmm. your name, state your nationality, state your date of birth. Da, 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 da. That's all. Yeah, that's it. And mm. you passed. Mm-hmm. Now, do they give you a license? Do they give you a certificate, or do they just put you on a roster and say you're an official court interpreter? Nothing. Mm. They just told me the orally, but I didn't receive any paper or certificate or something like that. So officially, I don't have anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you said you work in the courts of Nagoya. How often do you get called to interpret? <sighs> ah, it's... Okay, it's really difficult to answer because the, sometimes I go every day. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I don't have any job for three months or something like that. Gotcha. So if there's a if there's a, a case, then you go all the time until the case gets resolved. And then if there's no cases, there's no calls. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you know other interpreters in the courts? Uh, you you obviously, or I'm assuming, you do Japanese into English. Yes. And English into Japanese. Do you know any interpreters that do other languages, Japanese to something else? Yes. Uh, the Chinese, Spanish, mm-hmm. Portuguese, mm-hmm. Thai. Oh, um, wow. So and, different uh, languages. Yes, mm-hmm. many different languages. Because, you know, they, uh, they, there are so many uh, Brazilians now, the Japanese mm-hmm. Brazilian coming back to Japan, that like a third generation or fourth generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they speak only Portuguese. And also, there are so many Chinese here, you know, that Japan and China is really close. So Mm -hmm. we have many uh, Chinese, Portuguese interpreters, and also the Spanish, uh, because also in Nagoya, we have very many uh, returnees from the middle, mid and South America, especially Mm -hmm. Peru or something like that. That's very interesting. So tell us a little bit about Nagoya. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure not, not everybody knows even where Nagoya is or, or even the fact that 
Japan is not one island but several islands, right? Yes, yes. It, the Nagoya is main on the mainland, and mm. uh, a little bit. Uh, it's uh, between Tokyo and Osaka. It's really in the middle of Japan and those mm. middle of mainland, and mm -hmm. Nagoya is next to Toyota City. You Probably have you know uh, or have you heard the Toyota? Yeah, Toyota Motor probably. Corporation. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have the Mitsubishi, uh, Mitsubishi uh, Heavy Industries, which mm -hmm. is a manufacturer of airplanes. So there are so uh -huh. many factories around here. Mm -hmm. That around means, Nagoya. yes, around Nagoya. So there's so many factories and they need the factory workers. But, you know, the Japanese, especially the young Japanese, don't want to work in factories. Mm -hmm. so, they want to be professionals like or other high, Yeah, high salary. High salaries, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Or they so, want to be um, uh, stars, like pop stars maybe. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So, so then the, what happens with those factories? Who are the workers there? Yeah, so there are so many opportunities for uh, people who uh, can't speak Japanese because in the factories, they don't need to speak Japanese. Mm. So it's a good opportunity for people who read for, uh, for returnees who don't speak or who can't speak Japanese. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are so many uh, Japanese Brazilian or no, Japanese Peruvian around here, and they, uh, even though they don't speak or they cannot speak Japanese, they can earn money here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they, they can't speak Japanese. That's a problem because you know that they cannot get a, uh, they cannot earn much more money. Mm -hmm. Without because language. they don't speak the language? You no, know, yes. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's really, really regret. And I'm, but unfortunately, sometimes they organize a crime group mm -hmm. and committed crimes. It's organized crimes like stealing cars or a kind of the stealing or mm -hmm. theft or pickpockets or something like that. And then they end up in court. And then yes. they need an interpreter. Yes. I get you. And I, I, I noticed that uh, you mentioned Peru and Brazil. And I know I, I remember traveling to Rio de Janeiro many years ago and finding out that there was a big population of Japanese living in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you tell me that some of them that were born there, but are Japanese are coming back to Japan. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because and they I, can't find a job in Brazil. Of course, of course. And same with Peru. Actually, Peru had a president that was uh, Japanese. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, there, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. So obviously there is a presence there too. So many of those people are coming back and now they're finding that sometimes if they get in trouble, they need to go to court and they need the services of an interpreter. Yes. Hmm. So when you interpret in court... Uh, do you do mostly criminal cases, civil cases? What kind of cases? Uh, the, um, I can say the 80% of the criminal cases mm -hmm. and the 10% uh, civil case, 10% family court. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of criminal cases. So tell us a little bit. I'm, I'm interested in what is your vision <laughs> about court interpretation in Japan? How do you see it? What would you like to see? Ah. Uh, 
it might be wrong, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. I'm an English Japanese code interpreter working in Japan, and mm -hmm. you can probably you can imagine there's not so many American and British or New Zealanders or Australian criminals in Japan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The most of the cases are the people who speak only English other than their native languages. I mm. mean, uh, most of the people are from Africa. Oh, I see. The, the, uh, the colonized countries by the British in the past. And, mm -hmm. But we cannot find their native language interpreters like Luganda, mm -hmm. Punjabi, mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they choose English as their second or third language for mm -hmm. cultural interpreting. However, it's really difficult because their educational level is not so high. I don't mm -hmm. want to be intimidating, but their native language is not English, so it's really difficult. Oh, I understand. I understand. Mm -hmm. and, and especially even in the daily language or daily conversation, it's difficult, but it's much more difficult at court because the legal system and the constitution registration is totally different between Japan and those countries. So they, mm -hmm. even though we translate the word, they don't understand the word like indictment mm -hmm. or execution mm -hmm. or a sentence it's really difficult for them to understand. So we have to explain one by one. Got you. And let me ask you about that because uh, as you are a court interpreter in Japan, is there a code of ethics that you have to follow when you work in court? Are there any rules or protocol or procedure that you have to learn before becoming a court interpreter? Yes, only one time orientation. Mm -hmm. And it's a this, this just uh, the orientation and uh, we have not had any uh, the printed ethics or rules. Mm. The, the code just explained orally to us on the first orientation. But uh, they don't mm. have any, any printed or booklet or something like that. So you don't have to go, you, you cannot go back and check uh, if you don't remember if that's an, uh, according to the code of protocol, code of professional conduct or ethics. Yeah, basically, yes. Mm -hmm. And are there any regulations? Now, how would you like to see the profession going in Japan? Because I'll be very honest, I, uh, and this is my ignorance of, of your country, but I thought that your, your country was super strict about rules and regulations, and therefore they probably had like very strict codes for interpreters and they have to do a lot of studying. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I may talk to you probably at NASIT and actually on the offshore we don't have any official at the certificate education training and mm -hmm. the hiring system for code interpreters. Mm -hmm. Anybody can be code interpreters if they raise a hand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some people, or most of the people, still think that the conversation, just speaking the language, means uh, that they can be interpreters. Gotcha. But, but it's uh, not true. <laughs> well, we know it's not true. I, uh, it sounds a lot like in the United States some years ago. I think we have made some headway in explaining that to the courts. Now, tell me a little bit about 
how does defense happen there? Let's say I'm, I'm over there and I get charged with a crime. And as you say, I'm a factory worker. I don't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Do I get a public defender if I need an attorney or what happens if I don't have money for an attorney? Therefore, all the people who cannot afford for the attorneys, uh, the government uh, will pay for everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just like here. Yes. But mm -hmm. how about those attorneys? How do they communicate with their clients if they don't speak the language? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Do they protest when they find out that the interpreters are not trained or not at all? Uh, the, for those cases, the the, uh, the court assigned the interpreters and uh, with uh, the lawyers, at, I mean the attorneys, will go mm -hmm. to see the criminals with the interpreters every time. So interpreters mm -hmm. have to be all the time at the court, not only the court, but also the meeting with the criminals and the lawyers, and, mm -hmm. uh, I mean attorneys. Right. So, and they probably go to the jails, maybe, to interview this uh, defendant? Uh, yes, 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 mm -hmm. right. And have you ever heard of any attorney over there complaining about the effectiveness of their interpreters or asking the courts to give them better interpreters or not at all? Yes, actually, the, uh, the, I explained it. And the first, the, the other interpreter was assigned to the, uh, the criminals, but the attorney uh, complained about that to mm -hmm. the court. So therefore, I was assigned. Okay. Because they had a different interpreter and the attorney complained? Yes. And the, I'm not, uh, I don't know the details, but the, uh, the attorney says that the, the interpreters, the first interpreters didn't communicate well with the criminals. And the, uh, the sh according to the attorney, she couldn't translate from English into Japanese correctly. Got it. And it was, do you think it was probably because the attorney understood enough, um, enough, uh, English to realize that the interpreter is not doing a good job? Uh, I think so. I think so, yes. Uh, the, because the, the attorney is a professional, legal professional, so probably he f may, f he might, f um, probably he may be fined uh, the, some the wrong translation or interpretation or probably he thought that the, the interpreter didn't understand the, uh, the the idea of the regular terms. And that's why they assign you to this case? Yes. Any other cases that you've heard of? Uh, uh, and, and then what happened? I mean, other than changing interpreters, are there any movements in Japan that you know of to try to professionalize interpreting, to uh, have something more than an orientation, a, a more formal testing? Uh, yes, that's why I participated in NASIT to run this system in the States. Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately, I got, the, I got a research grant from the government of Japan to set up the offshore code interpreting training, the certificate education system and, uh, from the, the for three years, starting from last April. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the, the, as I told you, the people think that the language is just language. And also they think that interpreters is like a, like a dictionary. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You know every word in, in both languages, right? Yes. So anybody who speaks foreign language can be interpreted. That's mm -hmm. their ideas, but I don't believe that. Well, we know that not to be true, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I would like to, at the first, I would like to uh, clarify the difference, just the speaking and interpreting. And also, would like to introduce the, uh, like a testing system, a certificate system mm -hmm. from the mainly from the states and also like Australia or Britain. And would like to make a proposal to the government to set up the official code interpreting and uh, code interpreting uh, system, including the testing, certificate, training, education, because the you know that this year we have the Rugby World Cup in Japan and also next yes. year uh, the two, uh, 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. Correct. It's good, very good, but unfortunately we expect many uh, foreign nationals probably run away from those uh, the events <laughs> because, right. we, uh, because we already experienced that in the past. Yes. And, yes. <clears throat> and also the... Un trained and the, uh, with, uh, the interpreters without the certificate mm -hmm. uh, cannot interpret correctly. This is not fair. This Correct. is not justice. That's right. That's right. And I think that uh, people get confused too because they think that it's just giving them an extra right. But we, I like to say that having an interpreter is really not a uh, language right it's an access to justice mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah so if you really want to people to have the ability to access justice they have to understand yes what's yes. going on yeah oh, tell me a little bit more about this research because we would love to uh help in any way as you know here in the Lamorne oh thank uh, you institute uh that's what we do you know we mm -hmm. design training seminars and testing mm -hmm. we have done it for mm -hmm. Uh, for many years, and we participate with the government in the actual development of tests for interpreters. So what is your next step as far as uh, getting something going in Japan? At first, I would like to uh, examine more at, about testing system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, the, yep. Uh, okay. How can I say? Okay. From 2008, we introduced the Saiban In system. Saiban In is a Japanese. This is a mm -hmm. kind of the uh, jury system in the States. Got it. Mm -hmm. And we have the jury system. Uh, we set up the jury system, and the government and the diet passed the jury system's role. However, we don't have the court interpreter's role. Mm hmm. So uh, we need uh, this kind of role. However, to set up, to make a proposal, we need to clarify the level or educational or set, uh, kind of training uh, level mm -hmm. to certify the interpreter's level, interpreter, mm -hmm. interpreting level. So first, I would like to know and examine more the testing system for the interpreter's mm -hmm. quality and the qualification. Okay. Mm. And after that, uh, I would like to make a proposal that uh, the training and the education system for the qualified interpreters. 
Very good. Well, uh, as I said, we extend uh, our invitation to help you because we do have access to many of the manuals for mm -hmm. the development of tests, the validation mm -hmm. of the tests. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that Japan might be a little behind, but thanks to your efforts, it's probably going to start catching up to the mm -hmm. idea of mm -hmm. changing this uh, concept of anybody who is bilingual is an interpreter. I like mm -hmm. to tell people it would be to explain it to judges would be like saying that because they know how to drive their cars, yes. they also are race car drivers and yes. could participate in a Formula One race yeah. because yes. they know how to drive a car, right? Yes, yes, right, right. So after, after you present this proposal, this is what you're uh, hoping to do to establish a testing and qualification system for court interpreters in Japan. Yes, because uh, the, some of my friends have the connection to the uh, diet members. So I would mm -hmm. like to make a proposal to the diet members and to push them to uh, actually the re to deal to the actual registration to make a rules and also that come into effect to into the future. So tell us, you know, again, for our listeners and for my own education and edification, tell us uh, the diet members, you keep on referring to them. Could you explain that to us? What, who are these people? Uh, actually, I cannot disclose the members at this moment. No, no, I don't want to know their names. I want to know what it means to be a, a, a member of that group. Uh, because uh, the, some members are really keen on the criminals, especially foreign national criminals mm -hmm. and uh, they experienced in the overseas you mean you know what i mean that some of the mm -hmm. diet members just study in japan they really have the high back high educational background but they mm -hmm. never experienced overseas so they don't understand the, the importance of languages yeah i think that that happens sometimes right if you have never had that experience yourself like mm -hmm. if you travel for instance, and you get lost mm -hmm. or you're in trouble, uh, you can't find somebody or you get uh, sick and, there, mm -hmm. and you cannot yes. speak the language. Yes, yes. Unless you have that experience, it's hard to understand what mm -hmm. the importance of mm -hmm. having an interpreter. Yes, yes. So some of their members have already studied overseas, so they understand mm -hmm. the importance of languages. So they push our idea. So they may, I think they may help us to make a proposal and push this kind of the system into registration. Because of the most of the people, most of the diet members are really old, you know, in Japan, mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. the 70s or 80s, and they have mm -hmm. never experienced overseas, so they don't understand the importance of languages. But obviously, their vote and their support is very important for this movement. Yes, yes. Very good. And uh, you're talking about Japan. Are you going to? first start in Nagoya and then expand or you're just going all the way to go national right away? Yes, because the, the, in Japan, we don't have a, uh, the, like a state and the federal system like U.S. The, mm -hmm. All the, uh, the system covers a whole over Japan. So even though I propose or may, I make a proposal this kind of sense or the, from Nagoya, it mm -hmm. directly goes to the, uh, the Ministry of Justice because mm -hmm. the Ministry of Justice covers all of Japan. 
So, uh, ah. mm, so every prefectures have the uh, covered by the ministry, but the national government. So the one one proposal covers to all over Japan. I see. So if if somebody commits a crime in Nagoya, mm -hmm. uh, whatever rules and regulations that person is tried by, mm. that that would apply anywhere in Japan. Yes. Yes. Mm, so the sentences would be the same because here, as you know, in the States, you know, every state yes, yes. has different mm -hmm. ranges and yeah. including, as you know, probably there's some things that are a crime in one mm -hmm. state might not be a crime in a different mm -hmm, state. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's the mm -hmm. same in Japan. Got you. Okay. Well, that's super interesting, Masako. And, mm -hmm. and I think that we could have a conversation with you for days and weeks. But, <laughs> but I don't want to keep you forever. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to thank you very much uh, for participating with us. And, and again, there's an open invitation to tell us how can we help. And if needed be, I'll jump on a plane and go all the way over there and help you out if that's what we need. Because one of our interests is to, to meet people like you and help us uh, expand this idea of mm -hmm. the importance of recognizing that interpreters are professional people who need to be trained, certified, and not not just uh, accepted because I don't, you know, I sometimes joke that no judge, I don't think in Japan or in the United States, would accept somebody saying, you know what I know about the law. Okay, mm -hmm. you're a lawyer, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but if it's interpreting, oh, I speak Russian. Okay, good, you're an interpreter. But there's a little difference in yes. standard yes. of two people that will be working in the same case. Yes. Yes. So we need, we need to uh, educate, and I thank you very much for your efforts on, on behalf of all of our colleague interpreters around the world. And oh. please let us know, are there any uh, final thoughts that you want to share with us? Uh, oh, uh, actually, Japan is a little bit behind this kind mm -hmm. of system. However, and I believe that uh, our effort can make the fruitful result. I agree. I agree. And we, you know, definitely Japanese people like you who are interested in moving forward and we are here to back you up as colleagues. And, you know, as you, I'm sure you met a lot of people in Agit that would be help, uh, willing to help you and share with you our experiences. So please count on us, mm -hmm. keep in touch mm -hmm. and, and arigato. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for your invitation. And thank you very much for including me this kind of the really exciting the meeting. Thank you. And we will, we will send you our links to our, all of our podcasts. And uh, have a good day, I guess. What time is it in Japan? Uh, 9.30 in the morning. 9.30 in the morning. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very okay. much for keeping you at night in, uh, at <laughs> your time. <laughs> okay, we're fine. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.